so much for tuning in to the Parent Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Mel Alvar, mama to nearly two-year-old wild child, Benjamin Michael. We are days away from the new year 2021, y'all. This is my final episode for 2020, and I'm so excited to introduce you my guest today, Sam. Sam happens to be my hairstylist and has quickly turned into a good friend of mine and parenting mentor. Today, we'll be covering how she is intentional in her parenting and cover teachable moments in smashing the patriarchy to dismantling the status quo by teaching anti-racism to her daughters. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am here with my friend, Sam. Sam, thank you so much for joining me on the Parent Chat Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here hanging awesome. out with you. Awesome. So we're just going to jump right in. So let's start from the beginning. Did you always know you wanted to be a mom, be a parent? Always. Yeah. That was never a question in my mind. Like, you know, when I was little, it was always playing dolls and Barbies and playing house, like just wanted so badly. Um, to be a mom. So yeah, the thought never, never crossed my mind that I wouldn't have kids that I wouldn't be, you know, raising little humans. And here we are six and four years in. So it's been a journey already. Oh, that's great. Well, can you talk a little bit about what it was like for you to start having to begin the family that you have now? What was that journey like in the beginning? Yeah. So me and my husband, we actually got married. I was only 19. So like I was a baby. Looking back now, like when I see 19 year olds, I'm like, you're so little, right? Because I'm 30 now and they're like 10 (laughs) years younger. Um, So we got married when I was 19. And I and like, we didn't really want to wait that long. I was like, I'd rather have kids young. And then we're not old grandparents, right? Because <laughs> 30 is old when you're that young. <laughs> was, yep. That's exactly what I thought. Like, gosh, I want to have kids in my early 20s so that we have all this time with them. Um, so probably, gosh, what year was that? I think I was about 20. So Kaden's 24. So I think I was, when I was about 21, we finally started trying right and it took a year and I was like what the hell is going on like why but I had you know birth control sometimes takes a while to get out of your system whatever um and then I finally got pregnant of course you know you're tracking every little thing and was so so excited and no no more than probably like three days after finding out that I was pregnant had a miscarriage, which was really hard considering like you want to have a baby, you're trying to have a baby. I think no matter what situation you're in, when that happens, um, there's a little bit of, or a lot of bit of trauma that comes with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Got the clear from the doctor, you know, after things were regulated again and had another miscarriage. So there was two back to back, um, which really felt like a blow, like I'm healthy. I'm young. Like, why can't my body make these babies? I want kids. And I remember telling my mom what had happened and she was like, Oh my gosh, I don't know anyone who's had a miscarriage. And I was like, 
uh, yeah, you do. They just didn't tell you. Like one in four women has experienced this loss, but people don't talk about it. And that's kind of always been a thing that I found important, especially in the work that I do working with a lot of women in my job is being open about my own journey and creating a safe space for people to share their journeys and well as well and you know letting them know that they're not alone you know so I've always been just found it really important to at least talk about it and acknowledge it um, because so many women do experience that mm-hmm. So then when you and your husband were finally able to get pregnant, what was that like? Oh my gosh. It was so upsetting because it wasn't expected. I mean, it was stressful because you're like, holy shit, I'm actually having a baby like this for real. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was so, 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 so excited. So I, so I was 24 when I had my first. Um, her name is Cadence. And then we were like, you know what? If, if we're able to have another baby, let's not wait too long. Like let's, let's get them knocked out. And then we're not having, you know, one in second grade and one in diapers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then my second, um, her name is Renan. She was born in 2016. So they're almost exactly two years apart, two years and 11 days. Um, and now they're four and six and they are a whole lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Oh man. <laughs> we were talking about this in our in the pre-interview just because I am always curious how because I have a son and I I don't know what it, I grew up with sisters and so I don't know you know what it's like raising girls and it sounds like it's very similar that they're they just kids can be bonkers they're just all over the place and loud <laughs> you know I thought uh, it's very validating to hear that that there oh. really isn't a terrible amount of difference there no I mean I think it's such an individual you know like mm-hmm. kid to kid experience I didn't know what to expect with girls like I grew up with a brother who was seven years older oh, wow. um, so I was really kind of like an only child for most of my life in that regard so I'm like two kids two years apart like both girls like so overstimulating, so much energy, like it is very overwhelming at times because it's not like they just sit there and play quiet and nicely. Like mm-hmm. they're yelling, they're, they're doing all the things all the kids do. So no, you're not alone in that. Like, whoo, it's a lot of energy. Yeah. What was it like for Cadence to find out that she was going to be a big sister? Oh my God. It was the cutest thing ever. I think the video just popped up um, in September around their birthdays. Like we got it on video when she met her for the first time. So like her walking in to the hospital room and sitting on my lap and holding her and Renan's like fussing and Cadence goes, it's okay, baby. It's okay. Like it just, it was the sweetest thing I've ever seen. And I'm so glad we have it on camera and we can go back and watch that but they've just been best friends from the start I mean they fight like best friends as well Mm -hmm. but um you know we're out in the woods the other day walking and Cadence is like come here Renan they're like walking on this log together trying to balance she's like come here hold my hand I'll help you and we're just like oh my god they're so sweet so I'm so glad they have each other yeah, that's awesome. I, being a big sister, I love hearing those stories of how 
just when they're little, you witness them like taking care of each other and playing nicely with each other. And because all I hear, you know, uh, stories in my family is uh, I remember being very upset that I was no longer the only child. To be honest, I was not excited. (laughs) And my sister's my sister knows that. And, but being a big sister is, has led um, me to be like a natural caregiver though. It's a big part of my story and becoming a parent was helping to raise my sisters as well. So um, it's kind of funny how that all worked out, but I wasn't too thrilled in the beginning, but it ended up being a very important part of me. So it worked out. Yeah. Um, well, uh, let's see here. My next question is, did you have a clear idea um, of your parenting path when you were pregnant with Cadence in the beginning? I know we no, talked a little bit about um, before that you you like to read some stuff and I'm the type of parent that's just like, ah, I just go, I'm just going with the flow. I didn't read any of the baby books. I didn't read any of the what to expect when you're expecting. How did you know, that go for you? Um, you know, I was pretty free flowing, I think. Um, there was only, I think one book that I read that I, it's like, this is what I think I'm going to do. And then in reality, like none of that happened, um, ended up co-sleeping, ended up like doing all the things that I was like, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Well, sure. let's be real here. Yeah. Easier to sleep with the baby right next to you safely then. <laughs> So I kind of did all the things I thought I wouldn't, um, but I didn't, I didn't do a whole lot of research or reading prior. Um, that really started to happen for me when Cadence was probably, Brendan was probably about a year old and Cadence was probably three, um, right around in there. Um, I was doing some like personal development myself, kind of really diving into my own stuff and have this like aha moment of, you know, like if I'm going to improve me and I'm going to work on, on my stuff so that I can be, you know, a better human, it has to involve my kids. Right. I can't like compartmentalize this. Um, So that's when I really started diving into more about parenting and feeling that pressure of like, okay, my kids aren't babies anymore right? Like what I'm doing matters. What I'm not doing matters. Um, so probably when they were about two and four, um, I came across a book called Unconditional Parenting just by chance on some random blog written by a mom mm-hmm. and it caught my eye and I bought it and it changed my life. It mm-hmm. was kind of everything that I never could really pinpoint, um, gave me a lot of clarity about like traditional parenting and how we just kind of do what we've always, like what our parents did. Like, we don't really think about it. We're not being very intentional or conscious. Mm -hmm. And that opened up a whole new world of like, wow, okay, I really want to make sure that I'm doing more of this and less of this whenever possible. Mm -hmm. So that kind of changed our whole course of where things were going. And then it led to being intentional about a lot more other things as well. And not just, you know, how you discipline your kids or what you do when they're having a tantrum. Um, So it led to reading a lot more books, Mm -hmm. kind of a crazy book lady. I have like (laughs) 10 going at a time that are all like halfway through. Mm -hmm. 
So thank goodness for all those wonderful authors and educators out there who are doing the research, who are, you know, putting out this content to, you know, help people heal from their own trauma so that we're not parenting out of as much trauma with their own kids without even knowing it. So yeah, that book was like the pivotal moment of like, oh shit, I have to do something different um, now that I know better. Mm-hmm. And I, I think parenting out of trauma is going to tend to be like a, a focal point that I keep going back to with the folks that I'm talking to, because um, just because I recognize more and more everyday um, instances where I'm doing that, like triggered moments, like if it's my son throwing food, I'm very reactive, or if he pulls my hair in a certain way, like just connections to my own trauma and how I'm like, I don't, I don't want him to see me acting like this when this is my shit and it's not his shit. He's just being a two-year-old and it's not, he's not being bad Um, and he's not a bad kid. So, and just so folks are clear that the full title of that book that you're talking about is Unconditional Parenting, Moving from Rewards and Punishment to Love and Reason. Um, So you said you had marked a spot in that book. (laughs) Yes. Because uh, we had talked about um, a, a part of that. You had said you quit doing timeouts. And I was really curious about that because I, I completely know that timeouts for a two-year-old, he has no idea what it is, even is. He knows when he does something he shouldn't do. He actually puts himself in timeout now. But um, for us, it is in a very open part of the house. I'm not like leaving him alone in his room. He just knows we both need to take a break for a second because um, mm-hmm. his, his new thing is he is hugging the dog too hard. And he knows he like, it's her, she's a tiny little wiener dog. Um, so he knows that it, he needs to be gentle and kind with her and it's not gentle and kind to squeeze that hard. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, I've been really like, I've been talking to my husband about it more and more and I'm like, um, timeouts are kind of pointless. I don't know if we should even be doing them and we should read this book together. So, um, you and I had talked about how that was a big piece for, for you and your husband. So I was wondering if you could read me a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. So this is from chapter two. Um, It says when scientists began to study discipline in the 1950s and sixties, they tended to classify what parents were doing to their children as being based on either power or love. Power-based discipline includes hitting, yelling, and threatening love-based discipline includes just about everything else. As the research results came in, it quickly became clear that power produced poor results than love. Unfortunately, an awful lot of diverse strategies were being lumped together under that second heading. Some of them consisted of reasoning with children and teaching them, offering warmth and understanding, but other techniques were a lot less loving. In fact, some of them amounted to controlling children with love, either by withholding it when kids were bad or by showering them with attention and affection when they were good. Then there are two faces of conditional parenting. So there's the love withdrawal, which is the stick, and the positive reinforcement, which is the carrot. Um, He says, like anything else, love withdrawal can be applied in different ways with varying levels of intensity. At one end of the continuum, 
a parent may pull back ever so slightly in response to something the child has done, becoming chiller and less affectionate, perhaps without even being aware of it. At the other end, a parent may announce bluntly, I don't love you when you act that way. Or when you do things like that, I don't even want to be around you. Some parents withdraw their love by simply refusing to respond to a child. That is by making a point of ignoring them. Insert, I noticed myself doing that. And that's why this hit me so hard with that like, oh shit moment. Mm -hmm. They may not say it out loud, but the message they're sending is pretty clear. If you do things I don't like, I won't pay attention to you. I'll pretend you're not even here. If you want me to acknowledge you again, you better obey me. Still, other parents separate themselves physically from the child. There are two ways of doing this. The parent can either walk away, which leaves a child sobbing or crying in a, out in a panic. Mommy, come back, come back. Or banish the child to his room or some other place where the parent isn't. This tactic might accurately be called forcible isolation. But that label would make a lot of parents uncomfortable. So a more innocuous term tends to be used instead, one that allows us to avoid facing up to what's really going on. The preferred euphemism, as perhaps you've guessed, is timeout. In reality, this very popular discipline technique is a version of love withdrawal, at least when children are sent away against their will. There's nothing wrong with giving a child the option of going to their room or to another inviting space when they're angry or upset. If they've chosen to take some alone time and all the participants um, when to leave, where to go, and what to do, and when to return are within her control. Then it's not experienced as banishment or punishment, and it can often be helpful. That's not what I'm concerned with here. I'm focusing on timeout as the term is usually used where it is a sentence handed down by the parent, solitary confinement. So a little bit more here that'll kind of wrap it up and give a little bit more context of why I was like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. So one clue to the nature of the technique is provided by the origin of the term. Timeout is actually an abbreviation for timeout from positive reinforcement. This part is fascinating, but also terrifying. <laughs> the practice was developed almost half a century ago as a way of training laboratory animals. As B.F. Skinner and his followers labored, for example, to teach pigeons to peck at certain keys in response to flashing lights, they tinkered with different schedules by which food was offered as a reward for doing what the experimenters wanted. Sometimes they also tried punishing the birds by withholding food or even shutting off all the lights to see whether they would extinguish the pecking behavior. This was done with other critters too. Thus, the College of Skinner, who was a, like a behaviorist, mm -hmm. published an article in 1958 called Control of Behavior in Chimpanzees and Pigeons by Timeout from Positive Reinforcement. So within a few years, articles began appearing in the same experimental psychology journals with titles like timeout duration and the suppression of deviant behavior in children. Like, can you imagine if someone wrote an article like that now? Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> in that particular behavior. study, yeah, the children subjected to timeouts were described as retarded institutionalized subjects. Awful, mm -hmm. like awful. But soon this intervention was being prescribed indiscriminately and even disciplined specialists who would have been 
aghast at the idea of treating children like lab animals, were enthusiastically advising parents to give their kid a timeout when they did something wrong. So before long, it had become the most commonly recommended discipline procedure in the professional literature for pre-adolescent children. So he goes on to say, we're talking about a technique then that began as a way of controlling animal behavior. All three of those words may raise troubling questions for us. The last of them, of course, we've already encountered. Should our focus be limited to behavior? Timeout, like all punishment and reward, stays on the surface. It's designed purely to make an organism act or stop acting in a particular way. The middle word animal reminds us that the behaviorists who invented timeout believe that humans are not all that different from other species. We emit more complicated behaviors, including speech, but the principles of learning are thought to be pretty much the same. Hmm. Those of us who don't share the belief <laughs> might have second thoughts about subjecting our children to something that was developed for use with birds or rodents. Hmm. So he goes on to say, finally, we're left with the question that informs this whole book. Does it make sense to raise our kids based on a model of control? Even if history and theoretical bias don't trouble you, look at again at the original label timeout from positive reinforcement. Parents aren't usually in the middle of handing out stickers or candy bars when they suddenly decide to stop. <laughs> so what exactly is the positive reinforcement that's being suspended when a child is given a timeout? Sometimes he's doing something fun and is forced to quit, but this isn't always the case. And even when it is, I think there's more to the story. When you send a child away, What's really being switched off or withdrawn is your presence, your attention, your love. You may not have thought of it that way. Indeed, you may insist that your love for your child is undiminished by his misbehavior. But as we've seen, what matters is how things look to the child. Mm -hmm. That one hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, oh my God, read it to my husband. Like, hey, this is crazy. I didn't know this. I didn't know better. And now we're going to stop doing it. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're just going to figure it out. So how did, how did it go then in the beginning where you're, where you just like cold turkey or were you like, no, like this is a time, this is when I would send them to a timeout. Like I went cold turkey. How did it work? I went cold turkey and it was the strangest, one of the strangest parenting things I've experienced of feeling like this is all I knew how to do. Right. And it's so common. Yeah. And, and I felt like there had to be something, right. There has to be some consequence. There has to be some sort of discipline. There has to be something really grappling with the notion of like, maybe it doesn't have to be that way. Like maybe we've all been tricked into thinking that like, this is helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just had to be okay just not doing anything for the moment until I like finished the rest of the book and like read more books from other authors. Um, so, I mean, in the end now, like we still have never done them and it's more about that they're, you know, now that they're verbal and they can communicate with us and we can communicate with them is like, Hey, let's step aside together and, and we're going to talk about what happened. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and it doesn't even have to be in that moment. That's another really big thing that I struggled with is like, this needs to happen now. Um, and it still doesn't happen as often as I'd like. 
mm-hmm. but being okay with like we we can come back to this in some instances right like this is more about me sometimes mm-hmm. and just being triggered than it is about what they're doing right so then but this this started when they were like four and two though right mm-hmm. what was that honest I'm genuinely asking what else are you doing then for a two-year-old because there's been times where I'm like I'm not gonna send him a timeout there's no point or else he'll like put himself there but on like what did you what did how did that go with a two-year-old I mean it's so hard at that <laughs> age like they have no self-control right no, like that they part don't. of the brain is not developed I wish I would have known more of that when she was actually two yeah <laughs> that would have been helpful um yes I I definitely I understand the impulse control and so that's where I'm just like it's so hard one of my favorite things times like his other thing though too like lately is he'll like he'll go in give Bryce a big hug and then he'll like flail back and then like attack his face (laughs) like before that would have been time out but I'm just like yeah I don't know why you get attacked every other day and I'm not like he doesn't do that I don't know what is going on what is it about you so one of my favorite one of my favorite really just simple things is actually from a psychologist a child psychologist her name's Dr. Uh, Vanessa Lapointe and hers is just like very short and sweet and the matter of fact like this has to stop Mm -hmm. right and like nope, we're not doing this anymore. And either like, you know, if you need to separate, like if I had to separate my two kids, okay, you're coming with me, you're coming over here. Like if we get to that point where like people are getting a little aggressive, this has to stop, come with me. We're going to go over here. And do something else then? Like a distraction? Because honestly, when there's times when he's, do you know destroying something that I'm like I just got to distract him I can't sit yes. here and like there's no yes. point yelling at him no. for this right you just, just have redirect to be like, that. okay nope and I have yep caught my that's I've been doing a lot of that okay nope yeah. we're done you're throwing we're not gonna food. do this we're anymore. gonna get done now and we're gonna go do this instead yeah okay especially at okay. that age like so I'm kind of on the right track with that <laughs> where I'm just like let's just stop here before I have my own meltdown I think you're doing great <laughs> surviving I'm calling it surviving a terrorist oh that's all of us yeah um I yeah I was shocked to hear that I haven't even read the book yet but you had told me that piece and I was just like "Mm, that doesn't feel good that doesn't feel good to be doing something that started out as a a, on lab rats and and now it just has become a norm Um, yeah I remember there's a part in the book where he like his wife um talks about like having this clarity of like something you couldn't place before of like I don't know why I really just didn't like didn't feel good but I didn't know why Mm. of being like oh yeah this kind of makes sense now like when you put it in these perspectives and then you're like oh yeah a lot of this stuff was done to me as a child and like you just you know when you're that age you can't you don't like you know it doesn't feel good yeah but you don't have the capacity to be like figuring that stuff out on your own right and how to control it in the moment and that's where I'm like he's taught himself to go to jail. <laughs> like it's just so <laughs> it's yeah so and honestly sometimes like for me and this is something that I struggle with but I know it's important sometimes it needs to be a timeout for me 
Yeah. Right. Like sometimes I'm just triggered and it doesn't really have anything to do with them. They're not actually doing anything that is like harmful or destructive. It's just like me being like, bah! Mm-hmm. at the end and, of your rope, but patience yes. has run out. Absolutely. So that's so I, real right now. Maybe I need a timeout for me, but something that, um, I found super helpful for, for triggers. And I came across this last year. It's called IFS, internal family systems. It's a type of psychotherapy. Um, but there's actually a really great book that kind of walks you through it on your own. If you're someone who's up for that. Um, but they talk about this, um, this, like if you think of a family, inside of your conscience and you have all these different like people and, and parts that they play in roles that they have and, um, and how these different parts are created in our childhood. And when we're older, some of these parts are not healthy. And when we're older, some of these parts will get triggered by certain things. And they're always protecting this um, like exiled inner child that we have. And these parts will do anything to protect this inner child who for many, many, many of us is not healed, right? They haven't been taken care of. They haven't been attended to. So what I really liked about this type of therapy was that like you're, you're noticing these parts, especially like when we're triggered and we're, you know, lashing out of why they're there. And that they're not inherently bad. They're there for a reason, but it's our responsibility to kind of communicate with them and work with them and not try to fight against them. And that's really what that uh, IFS dives into. Um, And you can really have more control over those parts too. Like when you start to notice it in your body, right? Like I get this tightness in my chest, like my hands, you know, they go like this. And noticing those triggers and being like, this is that part, this is that part being triggered and actually being able to kind of communicate and talk with it wow. and change the trajectory. And of course, more into the, the work you go when you're healing those deeper parts, these, these other triggered parts don't show up as much. So that was something that was also really helpful is understanding that and, and starting to work through some of those super interesting i'll have to check that out what was it called again so the the book it's yeah the therapy the psychotherapy is called ifs internal family systems and the book that i went through is called um self is it self therapy i should have grabbed it um self therapy i think but yeah, super, super fascinating. Definitely helped me to kind of make sense and gain a little bit more control of some of those triggers that are especially, you know, show up when I'm with my kids. I think I'm going to have to put links to all of these amazing books that you're talking about here when we post on my Facebook page for the podcast, just so folks can have easy access to those. Yeah, so. for sure. That's super interesting. Um, Well, so going back to the unconditional parenting, so you actually started a Facebook group um, for this book, right? Yeah. When did that Facebook group start? It was, it's been a year and a half. I think it wasn't, it was a year ago this last June. Oh my gosh. Wow. 
it's been a while actually in a year and a half wow yeah and it's so funny how that group was started like I started like I read through the book like so fast because I just wanted to know everything (laughs) and then I posted something on Facebook about it a quote or something and people were like this sounds really interesting Mm -hmm. and I was like what if I created a Facebook group and we can just like talk about it there and like go through the book whatever there was no agenda it was just like if people want to learn more like I would gladly go through it again and share kind of what I've learned and what I'm doing now and Mm -hmm. that's really how it began was just a place for other parents that we could learn together um so that you know I had a full it was a full year and about a year and a half of kind of really just focusing on conscious parenting like you know being very intentional and which is very different uh for a lot of us than what than what we were raised on so it challenged a lot of people it challenged me made some people really upset and really angry they didn't like it um but I think it created a lot of people have issues with being uncomfortable and like being confronted with, with things that they have to work on. And it's like, nobody, these, you know, these books you're talking about and things is not telling anybody like you're a bad parent. It's just like, let's look at, we, I think at least a lot of the parents that I talk to and are, am going to be talking to on this, um, podcast have kind of all said the same things like we want to do some some things or a lot of things or everything different than what our parents Mm -hmm. did and then when it comes down to things happening it's like we recognize moments when we are parenting exactly the same way we should not want to right so then then there's some of us who are just like no you know we're 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 great. Our kids are great. Everything's great. We don't need to change anything. The old ways are great, (laughs) which in today's, uh, just social unrest, um, we know doing things the same way is is not always the best and it's not sustainable and it's not healthy. And which leads me to my next question about your group. When did things start to change? Because your group is no longer called unconditional parenting. No. Yeah. That was, that was a big, a big turning point um, for the group. So last before, before things had changed, I was doing some, um, some group like, classes and coaching and some individual coaching with parents just sharing you know what I learned and helping them through some stuff and um last May we had moved to a new place we were all home because of the pandemic like my world was totally changed I wasn't working full-time anymore Mm -hmm. and things just kind of naturally like quieted down and I was I noticed it like I wasn't posting in there every day and I was like this is interesting but you know what this is just what needs to happen right now right like the world is just changing and I'm with home with my kids all the time like stop putting all the pressure on my we're in survival mode (laughs) give yourself a break Sam yeah um so I just like for the month of May it just kind of sat there you know I was in and out a little bit but not like I had been um and then George Floyd was murdered and that really I, I I hate to say that it took that to wake me the f up 
um, I, I don't know if the proximity to being so close to Minneapolis and like, just, it hit me in a different way than, than, than other things had, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really when I was like, oh my God, okay, I have to pay attention and I have to do something different with my kids when it comes to talking about these things. My parents had zero conversations with me about race or racism or anti-racism. And so probably the first week of June, I made a post in my group saying, hey, things are going to change. Okay. Like things have happened and I can no longer in good conscience have this group. Yes. It was great content. Yes. People were learning and it was helpful, but I said, this is so like, this is important because we have such influence on our kids' lives and how they treat other people and you know who they're standing up for who they're not standing up for right what they're doing what they're not doing um that we have to learn how to do better and I have no idea what I'm doing like brutally honest like I don't know this is all new to me but I'm going to figure it out and whoever wants to stick around and do it with me will do it together so ever since then has just been like a commitment every day to learning something and sharing it with the people in my group so they can have conversations with their kids and their family and they can show up in in different ways and we can all make more of a collective change together and so now and I think I was invited to your group because I I was actually trying to think about how long we've even known each other I couldn't even like pinpoint it because it's less has it been a year? Less than a year? I don't know. I feel like I joined your group right before it ch- the, the name changed. Yeah. Um, and so when I saw, um, I saw it, I was just like, this is incredible. This is amazing because uh, I, we as white people, it is our job to figure this shit out and not ask yep. people in our lives um, who are people of color, what do, what do mm-hmm. we do? Uh, mm-hmm. that's not their job that's emotional labor that they didn't they they don't deserve to have put on them yes. they're they have enough they have enough to deal with yeah. than us white ladies asking them like how do I not be racist is mm-hmm. it just <laughs> is it not saying racist things no it's not um yeah. it's addressing every aspect of it right so I was really grateful um to see that that you used your platform. Um, and I know the last we had spoke about it, um, you said some folks weren't as happy in your group about that change. Yeah, it was a really interesting experience. Like I had some core followers who were in the group from the beginning, like did, did some coaching with me, like they were there every day, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or pretty active. And when I made the post, I I knew in the back of my head that of course it's going to upset some people. Some people don't want this change. Some people don't want to learn. Some people don't want to grow. Some people don't want to do better. Mm -hmm. And no more than probably 24 hours after posting in the group, Hey, we're transitioning. That's what we're going to be doing. Um, I had a couple uh, DMS from people saying, Hey, I really loved your group. If you ever go back to that, please let me know. Um, and it was a little defeating, of course, in the moment of being like, you don't want to learn how to like, what? Right. Um, but there to was me, also- it just makes 
sense. Like your group is to me, I kept wanting to call it the intentional parent. Cause I mean, that's a lot of what you were doing was talking about being intentional, looking at our own shit, working on ourselves. And it just aligns to you me. Can't like, leave this, you can't leave this factor out of there. Like once yeah. you know, and if you don't do better, like that is harmful. Then you're part of the problem. Then, then we're part of the problem. Then you're contributing yes. to racism and white supremacy, ultimately. Yeah. When you say, oh, no, don't want to don't want to do that. Don't want to look at that. Like, unfortunately, there's no neutrality here. No. Like, either you're working against it or, or you're unfortunately getting, you know, you're going to be on the, on the other side of it, whether you want to be or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was a really interesting experience having those people say that, but there was also a lot of people who were like, like, I'm so glad we're going to be focusing on this. I'm down to learn, like, let's do it. Um, so there's people showing up every day, you know, mm-hmm. who have, have been right along with me, like, yeah, let's learn, let's do better. Let's have these conversations and, you know, That's decolonizer parenting. Yes, you just said that um, word a little bit ago too. And so, because I had asked, where do you get your information from? I know you're you're into researching, and it's easy to fall down those those rabbit holes once you find a link, and then you find another link and a recommendation, and just you just keep going. That I I did that, and there's a couple of links that I want to talk about eventually. But um, you had mentioned one of the first steps you did was decolonize your Facebook. How, tell me, explain what that process was like and, and define that for yeah. me a little bit. Yeah. So that was a, a kind of a huge slap in the face <clears throat> early this summer when I really started like reading and researching and listening and was like, who are you following? Right. Who are you reading books by? Who are you listening to podcasts by? Who's your news sources? Like all of this information that we get is it all white folks, right? Are you listening to anyone else outside of that? Or are you just kind of in this echo chamber? Um, So I kind of went on an intentional decolonization of my Facebook feed and um, was introduced, you know, to all sorts of different people and pages. It's like, once you find one, then there's a hundred others that you're like, wow, this looks really great too. And I need to be listening to this person. And I have a book from this author and I'm going to follow them. And, you know, they're talking about this other author. And I got plugged into a few different, um, you know, parenting pages who are led by, by people of color. And it's, there's a, there's so much out there. Like, and I, I, it's upsetting that I had no idea because I was so stuck in that echo chamber, not even thinking about it, mm-hmm. um, that, that my Facebook feed looks very different now in a good way of who's showing up and whose voices I'm hearing and seeing and who I'm supporting. So that was really important. Um, but that also followed suit into our home right? And the books that we're reading, right? Who is writing these children's books? Yeah. The books that we're no longer reading because I don't find them to be helpful and they are actually harmful. Um, Fairy tales. Fairy tales. (laughs) Yes. Dr. Seuss. Check that one out. That's kind of a really, you know, make your own decision on it. But I, I did my research and I decided this is not something that I want to have in my home. And my kids know why, like we have these conversations about 
this person did some things that were really harmful, right? It doesn't mean they're a bad person, but what they did inflicted harm on other people and we're not okay with that. And we're not gonna support that. So my kids are very aware of like why we no longer have some of these things in our house. And that when we go to the store, we talk about what kind of Barbies are on the shelf, right? Like, are, do you see any Asian Barbies on the shelf? Like I was ecstatic to find one for a Christmas present. My daughter was ecstatic to get one. Mm -hmm. So it really shifted the whole dynamic in our house of making my kids aware, what movies are we watching? Are these all white people? Are these all white princesses in these Disney movies? Are they all staying like, and if they're not white, are they staying in their bodies? <clears throat> There's a lot, a little bit written about this now, or are they becoming other um, frogs or souls or mm -hmm. other things that are not who they are? I just so, watched that the other night, by the way. Mm. Yes, we've mm. watched it a couple times mm. and mm. I've discussed with my kids what's really amazing about this movie and they know and they'll tell you mm. and what's also harmful about this mm. movie, right? Like getting out of this good, bad binary, yeah, right? And, and moving into and, and, and the either or thinking and getting into the like both and, right? This can be helpful for these reasons, but it can also be harmful at the same time. Yes. We should also have a list of children's books you recommend uh, because I know some of them that you've shared, I made sure that Ben got for Christmas. Um, oh, I love that. Some of them he's going to be getting for his birthday. Like he got Mama, Do You Love Me? He's going to be getting Papa, Do You Love Me? for his birthday. He got Hair Love. He's he's picked up about <gasps> twice himself. Oh, we just saw um, last night. Yeah, I think it's yeah, I haven't seen the animated feature of it yet, but um, oh, so I do want to see. It's on YouTube. Oh, it is. Okay. Mm -hmm. so um, I would love to get together a list of those recommended children's books that you have too. Yeah, and sure. there's so fry many. Bread. Like, we got Fry Bread. The book Fry Bread. <gasps> I've never read well. that one. Oh, it's super cute. I'll have to get it. I got a I got a running list myself. So yes. Well, that we'll we'll compare notes and we'll make sure that Perfect. we have added ones on there. So I love it. Great list of parenting books and a list of children's books and movies. <laughs> All the things. All the things. Right now, I'm definitely taking, following that lead, um, and I I'm glad that I'm able to do this now. And Ben. It's just going to be something we do with Ben is like, he's going to read all different kinds of books and he's going to see, I mean, he's not really interested in movies right now, but. All right. They get so many messages, right. That like, mm -hmm. we're not even really aware of. Right. I didn't become aware of until I was in like college of the messages of like gender roles and race and, and things like that. Yeah. It's like, um, freshman year of college. What? Right. No. Yeah. Oh, and Never speaking of gender roles too, like, you know, I, I had to expand what this intentional parenting looks like. And it's not just in like, what do I do when my child's acting out? Mm -hmm. Like, are my having conversations with my kids about race and gender, right? Like, am I making sure that they know there are other people who are different than them? Right. And that's good. And we want diversity and we need to respect people's pronouns. And we're going to learn about 
all these different types of genders and you're going to be respectful of all these different types of people because we're going to talk about it Mm -hmm. right like and if you know this now when you're young like how much less harm can you do to other people intentionally or unintentionally because this is just the way it is like because this is a value we hold in our household like this is not an option that we're going to have these conversations right that you know, girls can have short hair or no hair and boys can wear nail polish. Like we talk about those things often, mm-hmm. right? Like my four-year-old will randomly just be like, mom, boys can wear makeup. I'm like, damn right. They can, <laughs> right? Like, and, and girls can do whatever the F they want. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and just getting out of the typical gender roles as well. So that's been another piece, like, especially this fall and winter that we've really been making sure to talk about. Um, there's a really great read-along on YouTube from Woke Kindergarten. Oh, yes. And their, oh, their read-along, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the name of it now. But it's a book about a transgender girl. And it's just so beautiful and it really made like started to make sense to my six-year-old about gender right and like not conforming to these two two traditional gender roles um and she's been correcting it pronouns like mom we don't know if they're a boy or a girl we don't know if i identify as a boy or a girl so we're gonna say they so you know what like these conversations matter your kids are listening and they make a difference like and if you're modeling it and, and if you're saying, hey, I made a mistake, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have said that, I'm going to make it right, like they're going to want to do the same thing. So that's another really important conversation that we've been having in my house as well. I think about how different for like my childhood might have been like if I was raised in that same way or had those same conversations with my parents because I was told all the time girls don't can't do that girls don't do that girls don't cut their hair girls don't you're prettier with long hair um Mm -hmm. girly girls are who is most acceptable I don't know so I learned I think it was like fourth grade is when I was like I don't want to be called Melissa anymore don't call me Melissa my name is Mel I because I'm not a girly girl. I like to play sports and I like to, to do things there. Because I also recognize that I was blonde hair, blue eyes, like every other Jane down the street. And I was like, I also like wanted to be considered unique. So then I was like, you know, let's do all the things that girls aren't supposed to do. Because that makes me. Yep. And my parents, like, luckily, they were very supportive of that. But I thought there was a lot of pushback in communities and my outer family and um like just to be validated um gosh that didn't happen until I don't know until now it's looked at as like oh when I say oh I played football in eighth grade people are like that's amazing and I'm like it shouldn't have been amazing it should have just been something that a girl could do like I'm at my my football uh, end of the year ceremony and one of the moms comes over pats me on the head and is like oh our little princess and I'm like 
because that's why I'm here. That's <laughs> that's all I'm here is to be your little friend. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah. So I think that's amazing that, and and I'm I can't wait for us to be able to leave the house so Ben can see the world <laughs> and <laughs> the diverse group of friends that I have in the diverse community we have because I I grew up in the country and I didn't get to see all the things that I see now that the Duluth does have to offer and I'm fortunate to be tapped into that as a community advocate doing the work that I do so I think that's amazing and I think it's going to leave so much space for your daughters to to be able to live their unique selves and to be I see them being the girls standing up for if that's what you know they choose to identify as um, yeah the people to stand up for other people because ultimately that's what I became was when I see other people being picked on for whatever um is we I'd be there just you know swoop in and and help tell people that that's not we don't talk we just because someone's different doesn't mean they're bad like so and and now and too with like me deciding that oh I'm going to be called Mel now like that the when people talk about their preferred name or their gender pronouns, like I, there's no question to me because to me, it's about respect. Like I know people are respecting me and really know me when they call me Mel. And so it's funny because on Facebook, I do have it as Melissa. And then it's like, so that's not like, you know, it doesn't come down to that stuff, but it just, it's not hard when you have your own kind of preferred nickname or whatever preferred name um, to go by. It's not hard to, you don't need to question other people like why do you want to be called that or why is is that your preferred pronoun it doesn't matter if it's whatever that's what they want to be called and you're doing (laughs) mental health and suicide prevention by honoring those honestly and validating their existence and identity and I don't think people understand the importance of that it doesn't matter if you don't get it or understand it or believe that you know they it they exist period like people exist and on a spectrum and I think the more impact is so much more powerful than that intent right like even if we didn't intend that harm it can still be harmful yep which goes the same it's on that same line of when we talk about racism and people don't recognize microaggressions or when they're being racist you may not have said a racist term like literally Mm -hmm. it's just blows my mind that some people think like well I'm not a racist because I don't use those words and it's like but do you see how you got to where yeah. where you are so we live in a racist society and we're breathing yeah. in the racist smog we don't have a choice like sadly like you're either choosing to breathe it in or you're choosing to like purify that air and like yep. do everything in your power to to do better mm-hmm. um so yeah, yeah, definitely along the same lines that that impact over intent is, is so important and taking responsibility for that, mm-hmm. right? Like, I messed up. I hurt someone. Like making it right and learning from it and doing better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there was another, what was it, infographic you were telling me about. <gasps> Yeah, they're never they're not too young to talk about race infographic yeah this one really this was a big one for me this summer too right because especially there was a lot of posts going around 
that were like, oh, I don't see color. I love all people, right? I treat everyone the same. Well, that's really harmful. Um, So there's this really great infographic that I found that talks about just how much kids know and see color and have biases. I mean, starting very early on. So just a quick run through for, for ages zero to six is like, at birth, babies look equally at all of faces of all races, but at three months, they're looking more at faces that match the race of their caregiver giver. So they already are kind of having a, a preference, right? Like this is familiar. I know this. Um, and children as young as two, two use race to reason about people's behaviors, yeah. right? So when people are like, oh, my kids are too young to talk about race legit they're like never too young even when they're nonverbal, like reading books right that that are talking about different people right that's an easy thing to do Mm -hmm. um by 30 months most children use race to choose playmates that was a big like oh my god Hmm. they're already deciding who their friends are like on a playground kind of a thing like so mean? there's there's an article that goes along with this, and I think I have it somewhere, but it, it doesn't expand on this infographic. Okay. Um, okay. And the next one is expressions of racial prejudice often peak at ages four and five. Four and five. And how often, like, most of us never had a conversation with our parents about race or racism, or if we did, it was probably when we were a little bit older, right? Like, not young because those prejudices are already beginning and they're already there Mm -hmm. and by five black and latinx children in research settings show no preference towards their own group compared to whites white children at this age remain strongly biased in favor of whiteness by kindergarten which is my oldest now children show many of the same racial attitudes that adults in our culture hold. They have already learned to associate some groups with higher status than others. And um, six and seven-year-olds, explicit conversations with them about interracial friendship can dramatically improve their racial attitudes in as little as a single week. There's another really interesting study that was done about that and parents who actually um, engaged with their kids in this versus not really doing anything. So those are just a a few things that we know about young kids and how they're developing these attitudes and these biases and prejudices so very early and why it's so important um, for us to be educated on this and have these conversations just like we would have conversations about um our bodies and our consent and what's appropriate and not appropriate like those things are not an option right like that's just what we do to raise healthy human beings this also has to be not an option even though it can seem kind of scary and intimidating because most of us don't know what we're doing and we need to learn um so it's it's scary, but it's also very hopeful that we can make change when we are, you know, getting uncomfortable and, and talking about it and even telling them, like, I don't know all the answers, 
but we're going to learn together. Mm-hmm. And using those teachable moments too, because I think some parents, I don't know, I will, we'll see when the more interviews that I do um, and the more pre-interviews that I do where, where folks are at with some stuff. And, uh, but I, I guess I have some assumptions of just like either they just don't know where to begin. Um, maybe they, um, yeah, I guess, I, I don't know. I'm going to, ha- I want to ask those questions where like, how do you have these conversations with, with your kids? How do you use those teachable moments? Because um, you're right. Everything we put such emphasis on like body, um, body autonomy and body safety and things like that. It should be just as important. Things have to change. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's our responsibility. Like yeah. we have to do the work to, yeah. to make a difference. So. Absolutely. And two, it can be, it can be as easy as starting with looking at the books, looking at the toys. Oh like there was another I think to another important piece, you write a lot about it on your um, page and making sure that um, people who are in the positions that we are that have like white privilege, that we're using our privilege for good. Just acknowledging your privilege is not activism. Um, mm. Just acknowledging it, that's not, okay, that's a part of the work, right? <laughs> it's not, um, and it also ju- justifies how um, people occupy space over marginalized voices and complacency in oppressive systems. Um, so utilizing our, our privilege to uplift other voices and needs and recognizing where we can continue to make that change. Because yes, it does start with acknowledging your privilege, but like, okay, that's- But if you're not doing anything about it, okay, it's all yeah. intellectual, right? Like, cool, you get it, but what are you going to do with that, mm-hmm. right? Like, and to not let that guilt seep in, um, you know, feeling bad about it. Because then it's this... making it about yourself again. Yes, exactly. It's bringing it back to you. And it's really putting yourself out there to be like, whose voice can I uplift? Where can I stand up for, for marginalized people? What changes can I make in my home and in my community? Like, where do I have influence? And we have a lot more influence than we think we do. Where do I need to stand up and say something? Where do I need to learn more about so I can stand up and say something? Mm-hmm. Um, like there's, there's so much potential there for us to make change. It can seem overwhelming and intimidating, um, but it's so, it's so important in that we teach our kids to do the same thing, right? Like if you're in this situation at school, this is the right thing to do, right? Like I've had conversations with my kids about that. If this happens, like, this is what I expect you to do because it is the right thing Mm -hmm. in our home. Like, this is our value that we hold um, of not centering yourself, right? Like, so yeah, use that privilege and use it to make good change and listen. Like, it's not about what you think is good. We need to be listening to those who are affected and what what do they need? What are they asking for? Mm -hmm. So not making it about you and, and doing the best we can to have those hard conversations, write those hard emails, um, you know, whatever that looks like, mm-hmm. using our privilege wherever we can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a lot has come to light. I think to man, this year has just 
a lot of things have come to light this year. And yes. I think what's been amazing, I guess maybe I'm paying more attention to it as well, but um, just folks who are highlighting those who whose voices are like boots on the ground or new businesses that are opening up or people recognizing that there aren't as many black owned businesses mm -hmm. around town or around Minnesota. So there are lists out there. If like, if you think your privilege can't be used for anything, I, I guarantee you <laughs> out there, <laughs> out there in, in podcast land, if you are someone who has not suffered in this pandemic by loss of job, if you are someone who has not suffered um, because you have great health insurance, you have transportation, you have family support, we have privilege. And especially yes. if you are white or appear white. So many people are completely unaware of that fact. Yeah. Like I was, in a, I was in oblivion for many, many years about that. Now I'm like, oh my God, it, it was a huge wake up call mm -hmm. um, of all these areas that that we do hold it and we don't think about it. We don't have yep. to think about it. That's the privilege of it. Right. And so, so any little place, if you have a following on Instagram, Sam here recognized she has a following on Facebook and, and utilize that opportunity to capture the audience to, if you have a captured audience anywhere, and especially if you're a parent listening to this podcast, you have a captured audience, you have a place to do some of the work and so it's on us because times are changing <laughs> things things are changing we're already seeing that um happen now that man just I, I feel like every month there's just there's a new shift in in in, in all of this you recently posted about being a nine anagram <laughs> and being the adaptive peacemaker um can you tell me what that piece was like in this journey for you. That was a big piece of this journey and a big, I, I don't want to use it as an excuse because it is absolutely not. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like that, that had held me back for a long time in a lot of areas in my life right? Like just not speaking up for myself, which included not speaking up for others, even if I knew it was wrong, like just being too scared to like say something. Like I always want to make sure everyone is happy and everyone's getting along and like, let's just be nice to each other. Right. And that's okay to a point, but it can also be harmful, right? And that, that impact, the impact over intent, right? I may not have intended harm by just saying, you know, let's all love each other, but it can be harmful. Mm -hmm. um, so thank goodness, like the personal development I've done over the last five years and working with some mentors and coaches and like literally <laughs> being told to sit in my car and scream. Because for me, like using my physical voice is scary. Speaking mm -hmm. up is terrifying. And so just sitting in my car and screaming and being like, I feel ridiculous, but like my body needs this like physical release to be like, this is okay. This is healthy. This is normal. Um, <clears throat> and I had a really amazing, amazing mentor who, who really dove deep with me into some stuff and really pushed me and, you know, 
it's so crazy to talk about it now and her to be like, Sam, a year ago, two years ago, there's no way, there's no way you would have been standing up for yourself, let alone standing up for other people. Mm -hmm. So it took a lot of intentionality, a lot of like practice and like deep inner work, and it's still never going to be done. Um, But it led me to a place now where I feel at least more confident in my voice and using it, um, and using it for good, mm-hmm. using, you know, that, that privilege right along with it. <clears throat> but it was, it was a scary journey. And I'm glad I've <clears throat> come to this place, mm-hmm. at least, but I think as a nine, it was, it was very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and other ways that maybe some other people don't struggle with. So I'm thankful that my kids, I don't, I, I, I haven't really looked into them yet. They're pretty young, but they're very loud. They're very like boisterous. They'll, they'll tell you what they think. They'll tell you how they feel. And I'm like, okay, as much as this drives me crazy some days. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, this is what I want when you're in a classroom and you hear something being said that is not right. That is not the truth. That is harmful. I want you to raise your hand and say, that's not okay. That's mm-hmm. not true. That's harmful. Mm-hmm. Like I want, and I would have never done that as a kid. Mm-hmm. So that's my, my hope is to like work through my own stuff so I can support them into keeping that same energy and attitude. Cause it just comes very naturally to them. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I think it's, I think it's so important too, that we, we have that space as women, as femme identified folks who haven't always been given that space to speak up. And then to also uh, on the same side, the balance of it as white women to speak up and then step back to be able to raise the voices of who else's voice needs to be heard. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Knowing, knowing that balance, right? This is my time to say something. I got to say something. And this is my time to shut up and listen. Listen. And amplify those voices around me. Yeah, I think that's been a huge piece of my journey lately in the work that I do is for the longest time, um, like I was shushed and it's a part of my trauma that I was shushed, shushed and I was told to shut up and that my, what I was saying didn't matter. Um, so then when I finally was, you know, free of that, then I was like, okay, now I'm going to be loud all the time. And then I was like, okay, but I, I don't need to be taking up the most space in the room yes. either. So yes. um, that's a huge part of working through, working through your shit and figuring out yeah. when to say something, when to speak up, when it's helpful, when it's harmful. Um, and then if you're, if you're taking up all the oxygen in the room, then it's, yeah. you're defeating the purpose. Right. And knowing what spaces knowing what spaces are for you and what spaces are not for you and respecting that and like working on that awareness of like, this doesn't feel like this is right. You know, like it's, I feel like it's something you have to be intentional about and not just say, I can do whatever I want and I can go wherever I want and I can say whatever I want. Um, Yeah. Cause that's a freedom us white folks already have our voices I mean, yes. and, and I think a lot of people will probably push back against that and be like, no, that's probably not true, but it is. It is. Um, white voices are being heard everywhere. Yeah. So we're not, we're not being chushed. 
So sometimes we, we need to intentionally shush ourselves so that other people have that chance to speak more, probably more often than we're, than we're currently doing. Just being aware of that, I think is huge. And then, you know, keeping that on the radar and, and learning more and doing better as we learn more. Mm-hmm. And for folks to, um, to know Sam's Facebook page, um, she's sharing a lot of that content um, from other, from a lot of other folks. Like I, I think sometimes you'll, you'll post maybe something that's like your words, but a lot of it is promoting the work and um, things being promoted by, by other content creators and, and just super important stuff. So that's important to know too, that it's not just like your interpretation of what other people are saying necessarily, but you do put, include pieces in there too, that have to do with like, this is what I learned today. And you're very honest about that. And I think that's incredible too, is that vulnerable, that honesty can make us very vulnerable, right? (laughs) Calling ourselves out and like, uh, I was today years old when I learned this. Um, but here I am sharing it with the rest of you. (laughs) So yeah, being willing to admit it. Cause guess what? You're not going to be the only one and someone else is going to be like, Oh my God, me too. I'm not alone in this. Yep. Exactly. So um, are you accepting new people into your group? You have something coming up on the first. Yes, I'm accepting new people. Um, I, I do screen everybody that comes in. You got a few questions to answer. I, if <laughs> I make sure that it's people who seem like they are intentional about wanting to be there and wanting to dive in and not just being like, yeah, trolls. cool. Yeah. <laughs> or trolls who like want to push back against new. everything that you're talking about. Yes. So it is very intentional there. Um, but yes, January 1st, we're going to be diving into a brand new book that just came out. It's called Raising Anti-Racist Kids, The Power of Intentional Conversations About Race and Parenting. And I'm super, super, super excited to be featuring this book by Nicole C. Lee. Like she just released this like within the last couple of weeks. Um, so we've already had, you know, a few people from the group purchase the book, support her. So January 1st, we're going to dive in. It's going to be pretty chill. Like I'm going to post something from the book every day and leave it some discussion open Maybe we'll do some, you know, like live calls if people want to get on a Zoom call after a couple chapters and just talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm super excited to support her in this new book and to learn from her. I really want to focus making sure we're being intentional of learning from people of color, Mm -hmm. learning from Black women, um, and listening to them. So I was just thrilled to come across this somebody in my Facebook feed said hey check out my friend's new book oh that's ordered awesome. it and I'm like hey everybody we're gonna go through this book together so it'll be there's like no commitment to this but every day something will be shared about it and have a little bit of discussion so that we can all learn and do better awesome well I think that's a perfect place for us to end today with our interview. Thank you so much, Sam, for sharing all the stuff you're doing and um, just sharing your journey and being an intentional anti-racist parent. I, I'm really appreciative of the information and the work that you're doing and everything that you're sharing with us on that group. So if folks want to follow Sam, Sam, what's the name of your group? Anti-racist parenting. Yes. 
So if you'd like to follow her group. Sorry, anti-racism. I said it wrong. Anti-racism. There's two. There's another one that is anti-racist. It's a page. But this is the group anti-racism parenting. Somebody tagged the wrong one recently. And I didn't even know there was a page called anti-racist parenting. But I am anti-racism parenting group. Cool. So if you want to join in on that Raising Anti-Racist Kids book club January 1st, um, check out her page. I'll be sharing, um, Sam, if you're okay, I can maybe share the link to the group on my Facebook post so people can find you quicker. We'll um, compile that list to put on the Facebook page as well with children's books and parenting books that Sam recommends. The crazy book lady. Yeah, it's all right though. Some <laughs> of us just need it's a little a extra. I don't I don't have time to search for the book. So I'm definitely someone who looks into recommended books. So there you go. Well, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. As always, this was just, you know, I always enjoy our time together. So this is just like having a conversation with a friend. It's so great. Right. Exactly. Well, I'm glad it d- the time went quicker than we're already like an hour always uh, does yeah <laughs> so all right well thanks so much everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next time hey are you interested in being interviewed for the parent chat podcast if you are you can email me at parentchatpodcast at gmail.com or anchor.fm forward slash parent chat forward slash message. That's anchor.fm forward slash parent chat forward slash (laughs) message. Trying saying that 10 times fast. Bet you can't because it's really hard. I just tried. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Say mama. 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 It's mama.